Regular listeners might remember a conversation that I had a few weeks ago with the reluctant futurologist Mark Stevenson. One of the things that he said that really opened my eyes was that there is no organisation that has done more to drag the issues around climate change, climate crisis, into the mainstream discourse of the great British population than Extinction Rebellion. And I found myself agreeing with him. So what I wanted to do was find somebody who was part of Extinction Rebellion. Now, Ruth Wright and I had an amazing chat. She is a really good speaker, an incredibly passionate believer in the cause of Extinction Rebellion. But also, she's sort of like a superhero. She has an amazing double life. She's just left a really big creative advertising agency called AMV, Abbott Mead Vickers. She's just started to go and work with volunteers for VSO in Kenya. So she's a formidable person. Have a listen to her arguments around climate crisis and the work that Extinction Rebellion are doing. See how she juggles the corporate life. She takes pride in the work that she's done for AMV, but it's it's a fascinating dichotomy you can hear her wrestling with. We speak about her, we speak about her job, her multiple roles, and then we ask her for her rocket fuel. So the first thing to say is Ruth Wright, thank you so much for doing this episode of Rocket Fuel. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So as ever with Rocket Fuel, three different sections and the first one is all about you. We want to get to know you. But bring bring it to life. Tell us about your amazing double life. It's a bit like a superhero. (laughs) Um, Yes, yeah. So I've been working until a few weeks ago at AMV, BBDO. And uh, my job title there was Editor-in-Chief, which is a great job title to have because no one really knows what it means, and especially mm. not in an ad agency. Yeah. So you can wear many hats and do many things, which I enjoyed. Um, my main client was Bacardi, so six Bacardi brands. And uh, alongside that, while working in advertising, I got very involved with Extinction Rebellion. Um, so I'm a, a speaker, a spokesperson, and, and a general activist and an XR member, let's say. And AMV BBDO is a big, what would be traditionally called a creative ad agency. Yes. So making ads for many brands, Bacardi being one of those brands. Yeah. And how did you get there? Was it a traditional route? Have you worked at a thousand other ad agencies? Um, I would say it's probably quite a non-traditional route. Okay. Yeah, most of my career has been in TV production. Um, so I started out, you know, as everyone does, as a as an intern and then a runner in TV production. Uh, I worked in uh, fact tents and then mainly in documentaries. That's where I spent most of my time. So yeah, I was a freelancer in TV for eight years. Um, I then saw a bit of a lucrative sideline when TV work wasn't so forthcoming mm-hmm. in casting ads and branded content. So that's what sort of got me into working with brands. And AMV were excited by you as an individual and your experience because you had the experience of creating long-form TV content. Yes, yeah. And Bacardi, especially at the time that I joined, were wanting to work with content creators, which I'd done a lot of. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So let's let's get to know you a little bit more before we delve down into your work, if you like. Have you ever had a mentor or do you ever mentor anybody? Um, I would say I've had lots of informal mentors. I have Mm. lots of sort of 
writers, thinkers that I follow. Um, Seth Godin is probably my go-to blog I read every day. Thinkers, okay. thinkers like him, um, kind of management theory, marketing theory. And then uh, Brené Brown, I love um, lots of women. And then I was thinking about this earlier that there's, you know, organizations I've worked in that just had female CEOs mm. and they would never know the impact they had, mm. but they were just role models and <clears throat> just working organizations that they were at the top of. Okay. Made a big difference to me. And how do you like to be managed and what do you look for in people that you work with? Um, I'm probably quite difficult to manage. Okay. I, I would say I like hands-off management. Okay. Um, I definitely... Um, I've always found if I don't see the reason for doing something, I find it very difficult to do to the best of my abilities, let's say. Once I know the reason, I'll, I'll throw myself into it. Um, so you need a purpose. You need to be shown where you're getting to and why. Absolutely. What's the result going to be? What's the, the reason for us putting energy into this? Um, and then I suppose in terms of managing people, mm. um, I try to manage with humor and fun i mm. think that's really important especially in fast-paced environments which yeah. is kind of what i've always worked in you know tight deadlines tight turnarounds um i try to have compassion for people and and fairness and i always want to be open to people's ideas because you know we work in an ideas industry and that's what i've always done so um i think i found that the best way people got the best out of me is when they've been open to what i've got to say even if we don't end up doing it at least they're open to a discussion and are you any good at switching off i say i am yeah well done yes. you're about the only person in this <laughs> series that has said yes you are so how do you switch off and why is it important to switch off oh i think it's i think it's hugely important i think especially if you're doing something creative the best ideas can come when you're not thinking about something mm. um so i'm very into yoga i've done that for years um one of my 2019 biggest achievements is finally having cracked daily meditation. Wow, okay. After years of failed attempts. Yeah. Um, and just spending time with people I love is, is for me an amazing way to switch off. Okay. And what would you say, a grand, a grand, if you like, turn of phrase, what do you think you're known for? What would people say, Ruth, she's dot, dot, dot? Um... I'd say I'm known for uh, making decisions that surprise people. Okay. <laughs> Give me an example of a decision that you've made that surprised people. Well, I suppose I've had quite an unconventional career path. Yeah. Um, when I went to work for a big corporate ad agency, definitely friends of mine were, were pretty surprised yeah. by that. Um, but I always, if, if a big opportunity presents itself and I think there's something I can learn from it, then I will always try and take it. And I saw that if I went and worked for big brands, I would learn a lot from them that I could then apply back into um, what I was working for, which was social purpose. Okay. So I was going to touch on this in the work section, but I think we're going to get to it anyway. And this always ends up being something of a blancmange anyway. Yeah. But I do want to touch on this now as a kind of how it makes you feel and the balance. Mm. So a big corporate ad agency, mm. you make them sound a bit like the baddie there. And Extinction Rebellion, which I know is a passionate part of, of you, and we'll come mm. on to talk about the work that they and you have done for them. How, how do you keep that balance in your mind? How does, how does that happen? Do you see the two, evidently you see the two as working together because you do and you've done both jobs. Yeah. 
Um, I would say that um, when I started working at AMV and just started maybe sort of quietly talking about the Extinction Rebellion stuff I was already doing, you quite quickly find the people who are your people. They're your tribe. And within any big corporate, I think there are plenty of people with with purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you find them and give them opportunities to um, do things outside of their day job, outside of the brands they work on, they jump at them. It's just that people are a little scared of stepping outside of the um, boundaries of social norms of how you act in these sorts of corporates. And let's, for the benefit of the listener, why don't we explain where you are in your life, if that's all right? Mm-hmm. Because you just left AMV mm-hmm. and you get on a plane in two days' time to fly to Kenya. Yes. What are you doing in Kenya? Bring that to life for us. Um, I'm going away with a charity called VSO, who plenty of people probably have heard of, Voluntary Service Overseas. Yeah. And I'm going away to lead a team of volunteers working with people with disabilities in oh. rural communities. And the plan is to do that for how long? Uh, four months. Okay. Yeah. Um, I saw it as an opportunity to really go to the front line of the climate crisis. The climate crisis is affecting the global south much quicker than it's affecting us. And when I saw an opportunity to not only use my leadership experience, um, which is a big part of of what I'm doing, Mm. um, but also to spend more time in Africa. I've done filming in Africa before and, and just loved it. And I've always had this pull to go back. And, uh, I was offered this opportunity I was looking for my next challenge and I thought, why not? Which is quite often how I make decisions, (laughs) for better or for worse. (laughs) So I'm still here with Ruth and I want to get to grips with the work that Ruth is doing and has done for both AMV and for Extinction Rebellion. the word disruptor's much overused, I think, mm-hmm. and it's often applied to businesses and not individuals. But I think in this instance, it could be applied to you. Would you wear that as a badge of honour or would you uh, throw that away? Oh, I'd love to be known as a disruptor. All right, absolutely. I you might say that. <laughs> so then give me an example because. I know it's. I know Extinction Rebellion don't meet in a scout hut every week. I know there aren't kind of. I'm sure there isn't an organogram of organisations of who's doing what. I'm sure it's not like a Sunday cricket team where you you all have to ring round when when the game's cancelled. <laughs> how did they first approach you? How how do you get involved in Extinction Rebellion? Um, so probably like many people, I saw the first action they did, which was the launch of Extinction Rebellion, which was closing five bridges in London in October 2018. Um, that was the launch of the movement. Um, and when I saw that, I thought, this is mad. Who are these people? I need to learn more. And when I started looking into it, I learned that that launch came after two years of academic research into social movements from the past. Um, they looked at all of these social movements and they said what's worked and what has created lasting positive change. And they took the best bits and they applied that to the movement. And that was something that, um, having made documentaries for years, I'm a research geek. And that, that level of research and that level of planning was something that I thought this is something that I would love to be involved in. So climate change and climate crisis mm. has always been close to your heart, I'm guessing. It has, yeah. And um, a- another part of my um, varied career was I spent two years running a video channel called Zinc, which at the time was the 
UK's biggest video channel dedicated to positive social change. Yeah. And while I was doing that, I was making, um, it was the time when you could get huge numbers of uh, views on Facebook um, through uh, not very much spend. Yeah. Um, another era, let's yeah. say. <laughs> and <laughs> we were seeing, you know, 20 or 30 million views on these videos that were about the climate crisis, that were about social issues. And that was really exciting, but we weren't seeing real world change. Mm -hmm. And I started to think there has to be more we could be doing. And then this social movement came along that were about, you know, getting people out on the streets and speaking to government directly. So, Ruth, you, you've seen a big demonstration, you've seen a big act. Mm. And then what, you write an email to Extinction Rebellion? Uh, you, you try and look people up? No, I think I saw that they were, um, I saw, I started following them on social media okay. and they advertised that they were um, training up people to be speakers for them. And so I went to get trained as a speaker in February 2019 and then I delivered my first talk in uh, April to um, the Socialist Workers' Party, of all people, okay. which was a, a really interesting experience to go to one of their meetings. I mean, I thought we did things democratically. That's a whole other level. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it went from there, and I just became a regular speaker and a spokesperson as well. And in terms of my facetious comment about Scout Hub, mm. how is it organised? How diplomatic mm. a movement is it? How is it registered at Companies House or at Chair? Do you know what I mean? Mm. How how real is it and who's who's moving this agenda forward? Um, so it's completely um, decentralised as a movement. And that is one of the core principles of XR, um, which is important to, to note that we are still very much growing and evolving. Um, and especially since our October rebellion, we're definitely we've been doing a lot of uh, reflection in the last few months. Um, so what I say now may well not be the case in two months' time yeah. because we 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 evolve and we change and we sort of pride ourselves on moving very fast. So things do change quickly. Um, but at its most basic level, we have local groups. So for instance, my local group is Lambeth. Um, Lambeth will have weekly or bi-weekly meetings of all the members. Anyone can come to those groups. Um, and uh, when when I say members, people expect there's some sort of, you know, application form, <laughs> membership form. There's none of that. We welcome everyone of every kind. You don't need any um, skills, experience, qualifications. Um, so you'd come along to a meeting and at those meetings we discuss um, how we want to run as local group and what actions we've got coming up. So actions are how we refer to, could be a protest, it could be... Um, a boycott of a local business. Um, one big thing we're doing in Lambeth is working with Lambeth Council to try and bring about a citizens' assembly, which is one of the main demands of XR. Okay. You're, you're also steeped, having worked for AMV, mm -hmm. in brand perception, in how brands behave. Has some of that been a valuable thing for Extinction Rebellion to grab hold of? Do you uh... think they think about how them as a brand are perceived <laughs> absolutely i would say that a lot of people at the um at the heart of the movement i'm going to say rather than the top of the movement yeah. because we're non-hierarchical and um, would would hate to think of xr as a brand yeah. um but sure. those of us who come from this world and um, people in the media and messaging team which is a really big team within the movement um are always thinking about this we're always thinking about how we're perceived um, because we want the public to be on side with what we do we need the public on side because 
there are, you know, our target audience uh, alongside the government, obviously. So, yes, I think how we're perceived is really important. Um, I think in general, one of the things that we're known for is really strong uh, visual identity that was uh, planned from the very start. You know, our our logo, um, it was it was always decided that we would never sell merchandise. We're never going to sell branded T-shirts. If you want the XR logo on something you own, please go and get something from a charity shop. Don't buy it new. And then just screen print the logo on anything you want. Um, so, yes, getting getting the... The XR visual identity out there is very important, but it's not our main aim by any means. So one of the joys of doing this series is talking to really intelligent people and people that have caused action, caused change. And there are actually two previous interviews from this series that I wanted to draw our attention to. One was Sonia Graham, and she runs a charity called Global Action Plan. And she quite bluntly said, not our exact words, that nobody has ever heard of Global Action Plan, but that doesn't concern her because people have have heard about the initiatives that she brings to life. And the key theme of hers was collaboration. Now, you've already mentioned collaboration, collaboration with people and collaboration with governments. How do you think XR is being perceived by people? Do you think it's purely success? Do you think there's some work to do? Uh, I think there's always work to do. Um, I One of our uh, kind of uh, strategies that we've been working on last year, and we're going to be working a lot more this year, is what we call the movement of movements. Um, because a common question, um, maybe a criticism we get is, um, what are you doing that Greenpeace haven't been doing for the last 30 years? Um, likewise, Friends of the Earth. You could name lots of other environmental charities, NGOs that have been doing a lot of work in this space for a long time. And we're not here to say we're the only solution by any means. Um, we see working with those um, partners, to use a very corporate word, mm. um, to use work with other movements to create the change that we all need. Because ultimately, we're acting in the interest of every single human on this planet. No one can escape this crisis. Yeah. Even billionaires who think they can go build a bunker that will save them from this crisis. I'm here to say, unfortunately, they're deluded. So the other, in full disclosure, the reason why I reached out to you was because of our, again, another previous interview was with uh, an interview with the futurist Mark Stevenson. And he said that nobody has done more to bring climate change, climate crisis into the mainstream media, into the mainstream political discussion here in the UK than Extinction Rebellion. So two questions on that. One, would you broadly agree? And two, how do you measure success? Mm, um, I would agree um, with a caveat that I think Greta Thunberg is is also a that huge That was my part. next question. <laughs> I mean, on. she's a huge... I, I wouldn't say that we could take um uh take that credit um and the xr youth which is kind of um i guess they're brought together by gretzenberg um is a huge part of it as well um the other part of your question it was how do you measure success um this is also something that we're looking at at the moment um so when we are looking at our strategy going forward um how we measure success is going to be a part of deciding that um, probably the two things we're known for in the UK are uh, the, the biggest things we did last year with the April and the October rebellions. Mm. The April rebellion, I think, was 
uh, seen across the movement as a huge success. And um, we got thousands of people out on the street. We closed Waterloo Bridge for seven days. Um, the uh, the parliament just declared a climate emergency as a result of that action. There was, you know, I've seen a three-page Google document of things that April Rebellion achieved. The October Rebellion had a very different feeling to it. Um, the media and the police were pretty intent on us not achieving very much at all and definitely not achieving things on the scale that we'd hoped for. Let me use some corporate language that I know that you'll be familiar with, right? Mm. It's about outcomes, not outputs, right? So if the output was closing Waterloo Bridge for seven days, what's the outcome? Because for some people, they're seeing a slight separation between what they're seeing as a traffic jam and what you are seeing as a protest to raise awareness. And how, I'm not saying, by the way, any brand, any individual, any cause has the answer, but are Extinction Rebellion anywhere close to looking at the outputs and the outcomes? Um, so the, the ultimate outcome for us is that we need governments, we're focused on the UK, obviously with XR UK, but around the world need to start taking drastic action. Um, that is the outcome that we're all working towards. That is why I'm a speaker. That is why everyone is in their local group. So there's, there's a, a, a very sort of obvious thing that we're trying to get towards. Yeah. And that is to start cutting emissions rather than them skyrocketing year on year as they're doing at the moment. Now, I've, I've asked some, I think, fairly blunt questions. Let me ask one more blunt question. Mm. Let's talk about the DLR. I think mm. it was the DLR. Mm -hmm. Where was it? Extinction Rebellion protesters were stopping people getting on the DLR train. Yes. And was it a Croydon resident that whacked somebody in the... Anyway, mm. I'm half remembering it. Yeah. I suppose two questions, actually. One, was that anything to do with Extinction Rebellion? And are you... Is there going to be a place, and I understand the reasons for it, where it's democratised, there's no kind of central... You're going to have people doing things in the name of Extinction Rebellion yeah. that might not sit with your core principles. Mm -hmm. Is that something that the organisation are prepared for? So the DLR action was in the second week of our two-week um, October Rebellion. Um, it was, we have the smallest kind of organizing unit of XR called affinity groups. Um, one way people like to think of them as cells. It's okay. an easy way to describe them. Um, your affinity group are people who you know personally, who are your friends, who you will go out together to protest with, and you look out for each other. Um, there was an affinity group of seven people who wanted the DLR action to go ahead um, versus 20,000 plus members who did not want it to go ahead. Um, they uh, decided they were going to do this action. They then put out a press release about it 48 hours before. Um, and then those 40 hours were spent by people who work full-time for XR trying to convince them not to go ahead um, because there were many, as I say, thousands of people who were you know, open and vocal about the fact that they thought this would be detrimental on, on many fronts. Um, unfortunately, as it is a decentralized movement, um, no one could tell them not to, as you say, mm. and, uh, and it went ahead. There was a lot of um, fallout, let's say, not only for the people personally. I mean, let's remember the rebels who still 
for, for them, they saw this as being in line with the principles of the movement, as you say. And um, who are we to tell them that, that it wasn't? Thousands of people didn't think it was. Um, but look, forgive me interrupting. Mm. You're, I completely take your point. Yeah. But the counter argument is this is why an organisation like Extinction Rebellion needs this kind of structure. Mm -hmm. Because let's say communication marketing geniuses such as yourselves would sit there. Mm. You would be able to say the reason to not do this is this, this and this. Yeah. And then that would bring them into line. Now, yes. I, I completely take your point about this splinter group, the, the cells, mm. but my fear, and I'll come on to perhaps the overplaying my hand mm. and stop being quite so impartial, mm. but in a second, but I just fear that this may do more harm than good. Have, have you got a similar fear or not? Um, what I would say is that since the end of the October Rebellion, we've taken a two-month pause on actions. And during that time, we've been reflecting on how the October Rebellion went and what we want to achieve as a movement going forward. What do we measure as success? And I'm really confident that going into 2020, we're going to have a really clear strategy um, that um, local and regional and national groups can follow um, that will guide those actions in um, in certain directions. Got it. Okay. That does answer that rather well. So here we are. I'm going to now overplay my own hand. Mm -hmm. I was lucky enough quite recently to be interviewed on BBC London. They occasionally asked me on to talk about social media, review the news. And I actually, one of my stories of that particular week I was asked to review the news was I'm going to speak in defence of Extinction Rebellion. I think all the things that they have done to bring climate change right to the centre of the public discourse has been essential because as much conversation of Friends of the Earth, Greenpeace has not done it. And you're right with the caveat of Greta Thunberg. Mm. Now, I love BBC London. I've always loved BBC London. But yeah. you can imagine what happened. You get phone calls from a thousand taxi drivers, a thousand people saying there was an ambulance due to go over Waterloo Bridge that week. They, they saw Extinction Rebellion as a headache. Mm -hmm. Is it a necessary headache? <laughs> it's an absolutely essential headache. The headache that they're going to have in uh, 10 years' time will be catastrophically worse. So we absolutely cause disruption, but I'm afraid we don't apologise for it. Um, if you don't want to sit there in your car being held up by protesters, then maybe take public transport instead. So with your amazing superhero life, your, your life at AMV, your life with XR, you must have thought that brands and big corporations can and should be doing more to help on this journey to face climate crisis. Have you seen any good examples? When are XR going to take corporate sponsorship? I'm being silly to make a point. <laughs> <laughs> can we can a brand sponsor your next rebellion? I'm being I'm being silly, but where does that marriage, where does that collaboration start to really affect change? Um, I think uh, corporations absolutely have a big part to play. If corporations, um, agencies, companies want to keep attracting the best talent, the number one 
thing that people look for when they're looking for new jobs is the purpose behind that company. You know, you look at a company like Patagonia, they are doing huge things, they're doing amazing things, they close their offices for the climate strike, they will keep attracting top talent. The companies who don't put this at the top of their agenda will not keep attracting that talent. And I hope and I believe that those companies will start to fail much quicker than, than most people are aware of at the moment. Um, companies that keep making their bottom line and their profit their number one priority are not going to continue to thrive in the way that companies who will actually take the climate crisis seriously, they will thrive. Because the, we've, we've seen through, through Greta Thunberg, through the youth movement, through the school strikes, this is the number one priority for uh, not alone, not just teenagers, but children. And they're the people who are going to be going into the workforce very quickly. So they're the companies those people are going to start wanting to, wanting to work for. Um, on the uh, question of corporate sponsorship, um, anyone is very welcome to make donations to XR. We run on donations. We, we absolutely need them. Um, but you will have no influence through that donation. And XR has some full-time employees as well. It does, yeah. Um, I, I, I would hesitate to call them employees. Um, uh, they, are, they work full-time for XR. There are thousands of people who have given up, you know, high-paying, lucrative, successful careers to work for XR, um, and they get what's called volunteer living allowances. Um, that's kind of maximum of like a thousand pounds a month. It's basically enough to live on in London, where we run things from on kind of a, a central level. Um, and then there's thousands more people around the, the country who are working for XR in their spare time. Um, and, and we haven't even gotten to the point of all the people who've you know, given up their liberty and, and been arrested and, and now got a criminal record and that will absolutely affect their, their employment prospects going forward. It sounds like your time at Zinc affected your, there's a lot of Zinc in you in yes. terms of positive yeah. action. Yeah. What did you take from the work you did for brands mm. at AMV mm. that you can now take on to achieve this, and I don't use this term loosely, almost higher purpose that you're embarking on? Mm. Um, I think that when brands get it right and they know who they're speaking to and what those people care about, that's when they have the biggest, biggest success. So in terms of kind of mass reach, if we think about... Um, Extinction Rebellion is having a, a product to sell, mm. um, then if, you, if we get it right in terms of how we talk about these things, if we have consistency in the language we use, you know, let's not talk about climate change because change can be positive or negative. It's a crisis. It's an emergency. Uh, let's tell it like it is and let's tell the truth. And I think if brands do get it right, then, then they, they tell the truth about, about what, who they are as a company and they tell their story well. And, and the thread that has run through my career is storytelling. Mm. Um, and I think that I, I've always seen how if you have a good story to tell and you have a narrative that runs through whatever message it is, then that's a really easy way for people to digest it, to engage with it. You know, if you look at kind of studies on how people remember information, having a story to remember is, is much quicker and much easier and much better recall than, than statistics or facts. So, yeah, a brand story would probably be the, the thing I've taken away. Is, are the XR members noticeably young? No, I would say there's a, there's a huge a range of ages. I mean, many of the people who've chosen to get arrested are retired because they don't need to, 
think about their career prospects anymore. Um, but they, many of them have grandchildren. And I think they've got to an age where they see that there's been decades of inaction and what is left to do except to give up your liberty. And, and they've decided that they've got kind of the least to give up by, by, by having potentially having a criminal record. Um, we, you know, we, when we train people in nonviolent direct action, we're very honest about the fact that if you do get arrested, that can come with legal costs. Um, people, you know, go into this knowing that they have some disposable income. So, no, I would say there's a, a huge range of people within the movement, while also acknowledging that growing the diversity of XR is a huge priority for us because we need voices from every part of society because every part of society is going to be affected and is already being affected by the crisis. So, I'm still here with Ruth, formerly of AMV, currently with Extinction Rebellion, soon to be with VSO. Um, so, a varied career, a varied life, and a really good conversation so far. I want to cut to the final section of our chat, which is the rocket fuel section. And this is designed for our listeners to take away practical insights, actionable things that they can take into their daily lives to help them better communicate with young audiences. Um, first question, what do you know about young audiences? Uh, I know that they are more purpose-driven and passionate and well-informed on, on the cli climate crisis on the issues that are going to affect their whole lives than any generation that's come before. Uh, and they want to um, buy from, consume from companies that have purpose behind them. Okay. And that answers my what's important to young audiences. But what do you think has changed about the way young audiences behave and what do you think is going to change next? Hmm. Um, I would say they're more, sort of consciousness has talked a lot about these days, isn't it? And I'd hmm. say that they are more conscious than, um, than, than my generation, the many generations before them. You know, we know that they're all drinking less, exercising more, all of those things. They, I guess maybe they're more serious. Hmm. Um, and that's what we need. <laughs> We need to stop kind of um, being quite so um, gluttonous and greedy with the resources we have without any thought for the people who need them after us. We need to, you know. So I'm going to ask you a question now where I think you may thunder against this, but if somebody is living what they would see as a normal life, are there any ways for them to take baby steps to help Extinction Rebellion to take us on this cause? What small steps can people take, I suppose? Yeah, for me, I think that telling people how to act, what to cut out of their lives, doesn't work if they don't understand why. You know, I referred earlier to I mm. always need to understand the why behind things. And I think that's human nature. So I'd say the first thing to do is to educate yourself on the climate crisis. Because if you don't know the consequences of the ways that we're all living, then, then why are you going to change the way you're living? So I would say there are so many ways to read up on these things now. Um, if there's one easy way, it would be Project Drawdown. 
um, which is a book and also a website and it's really accessible and written in really plain English and it's basically the top 100 solutions to the climate crisis. This is the thing that people need to understand. We have all the solutions to these problems. Yeah. It's just that we don't have the political will and the investment to make them happen. And so educate yourself on the crisis. And I think that naturally at the end of that process, you know, it's an ongoing process, of course, but you will just feel moved to act. How do people get involved in Extinction Rebellion? Do you want more members? Oh, absolutely. Want... It's a big priority for us this year, which is to train more people up um, so that we can grow the, grow the movement. Um, we're going to have much more of a focus on local and regional action, so not as much focus on the national big rebellions that we've been doing. Um, so people can go to our website, rebellion.earth, sign up to the mailing list, and you'll just then be kind of continually getting information about stuff you can get involved in. And just find your local group and go along to a meeting. I promise you, they are so welcoming. People, you know, I haven't met a single person with Extinction Rebellion who I wouldn't go to the pub for a beer with. They're all lovely people. And maybe put aside your uh, preconceptions of the sort of types of people that they might be, because they're from all walks of life. And just go to a meeting. And if you, you know, can't do that, if you can't physically turn up somewhere, there's plenty more ways to get involved. Um, you know, from the comfort of your own home online. Two more questions. First one is your VSO commitment in Kenya is for four months, mm -hmm. did you say? Mm -hmm. Have you any idea what is next for you after that? Um, I've challenged myself to not have a plan. Okay. I've got lots of ideas bubbling mm. um, about what I want to do next. Um, I may go and work for Extinction Rebellion full time. Mm -hmm. That's definitely an option. Um but I'm going to uh, see what's next. I don't think it'll be in the corporate world. That would be um, <laughs> there'll be one prediction I've had. I'd have, but you know, like I said earlier, you know, if an opportunity comes up and something about it excites me, then I find it pretty difficult not to jump at it. Are you proud of the work that you did at AMV? Yes, I am. Yeah, um, I'm. I'm proud of having uh, done good work for my clients mm. uh, you know that's always something we all want to be doing and um, I'm proud of the way that I think I hopefully woke the agency up to the climate crisis um, kicking and screaming at times but you know I got the CEO to agree for the whole agency to strike for the day if they wanted to go during the global climate strike um, I think I just sort of woke people up to the fact that if you work for a big corporate, you have a lot of power and you should use that power in the right way. For the benefit of people listening also, there's a huge um, creative conference in Cannes mm -hmm. and you were partly responsible for waking up Cannes to this climate crisis as well, weren't you? Do you want to bring that to life? Yes. Um, so um, Extinction Rebellion tried for a few months in the run-up to Cannes to speak to the organisers and to let us have an official presence there. Um, those efforts unfortunately failed. Um, so as we're going to be doing this year with the government, you know, we've, we're going to put the government on notice that you either meet our demands or we'll rebel again and we'll cause far more disruption than you've ever seen before on the streets. And that's what we went to Cannes and did. Um, so uh, Cannes has a, a pretty hefty security um, machine around it, let's say. Um, and we were um, met with the full force of them. Um, the French police in general have not been um, sympathetic to XR's efforts, unfortunately. 
Um, so we were, uh, you know, we made the headlines at Cannes and, mm. and that's amazing. And I think that for anyone listening who works at these agencies, maybe stop chasing Cannes awards and start chasing some real brand purpose. And that purpose, you know, and one, a big way of doing that would be to take some real action on the climate crisis. And you were in Cannes personally? I personally wasn't there, actually. Oh, you weren't? Fine. I was just going to say, how did that manifest itself in real life? Were you told off by AMV, but congratulated by XR? <laughs> I just wondered how that dichotomy kind of realised itself. But there we go. Um, one takeaway for everybody listening, what would that be? Um, it would be act first, ask for permission later. When I joined AMV, I was really worried about asking for things like, can I do the talk to the agency? You know, can I bring the heading for extinction talk into this environment? Um, so I didn't ask, I just organized it and a hundred people turned up to listen. And a few months later, we got, like I say, we got the, the CEO to agree for the whole agency to go on climate strike. If you'd said to me when I joined, you'll achieve all of those things in your probation period, <laughs> I would have, you know, laughed you out the park. And I, you know, I kept my job there and my clients were happy and my team were happy. Like that's a, that's a big achievement. So I would say be less scared. The thing is that we're in, a, we're in an era now where this is only going to keep in, increasing as well. Corporations and companies cannot say no to action on this stuff. They know that it really, really matters to not only their staff, but to all of their customers as well. So ask for more. And if your CEO won't act in the interests of not just you, but the, you know, the, whole, the whole world, then get rid of them and stage an internal rebellion and get them to act. Ruth, do you want people to find out what you're up to next and where can they find that out? Should they follow you directly on social media? Yeah, very are? happy. Um, people can find me on LinkedIn. Um, um, people can email me. I'm, I'm very happy for people to follow me. Okay, great. Ruth, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. It's been a real pleasure meeting you. Thank you so much. So that was Ruth Wright, departing editor-in-chief at Creative Advertising Business AMV and current member supporter of Extinction Rebellion. I'm sure some of you all think some of the things she said was were quite controversial. I thought she was a tour de force. I thought she was amazing. If you'd like to... Um, make anybody else aware of the conversation we had, do send this podcast to them. And if you don't do that, be sure to subscribe, give us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts and tune in next week to next week's Rocket Fuel. This is a Rocket Audio production.